Race matters. 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 I'd like to acknowledge that we are broadcasting on unceded Gadigal land uh, right now. This land has been in the hands of generations of Gadigal custodians for thousands of years before us, and it will continue to be in their hands uh, long, long after us. It's a meeting place for sharing knowledge, for sharing stories and sharing song, and uh, we are very privileged to be part of that storytelling here today and every day here at FBI 94.5. I pay my uh, respects to Gadigal elders, past and present, and we are broadcasting from Redfern right now. It's the birthplace of black theatre in this country and it's a site for resistance and resilience for First Nations peoples. Welcome to Race Matters. Uh, This is a show hosted by people of colour speaking with people of colour about the ways we understand and value our racial identities. I'm Darren Lasagas. I'm Tanya Ali and I feel like we say this every single week these days but yet again a lot has happened this week. Yeah. On Monday, just gone by, Australia's attorneys general delayed their pending decision on changing the age of criminal responsibility until at least next year. The current age of criminal responsibility in this country is 10. Yeah, you heard that right. Kids as young as 10 can be arrested, charged with an offence and incarcerated. Yeah, needless to say, when children this young are forced through the criminal legal process, it can have an immense and irreversible uh, impact on them, uh, on their futures and their families and their communities. Yeah, you and I were talking about this the other day, Darren. I remember doing legal studies in high school and learning about the criminal so-called justice system being a revolving door Mm. and the incredibly high rates of youth recidivism. That is the likelihood that once you're incarcerated for the first time, there's a strong chance that it won't be the last. And we were taught it in this supposedly objective way without It was in the textbook. Yeah, it was like there was no question about it. Which is wild, because if we know that's what the system does, why are we just letting it be that way? Yeah, we just learned that that was a norm. Um, yeah, you may have seen a petition and post on social media about this as part of the Raise the Age campaign, uh, which was kicked off a couple of weeks ago by Noongar woman, human rights lawyer and Aboriginal rights activist Roxy Moore, uh, in collaboration with a coalition of legal, medical and social justice organisations, including National Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Legal Services, Australian Indigenous Doctors Association uh, changed the record, uh, the Australian Medical Association and several more. And uh, the campaign's aim is lobbying the government to raise the minimum age of criminal responsibility to at least 14 years. And, you know, this opens a whole other conversation about abolition as well, because personally, I feel pretty strongly about the concept of prison in general and that it's not really effective and kind of awful. But I think actor and writer Nakia Louie put it really well on Twitter. She said, and I'm quoting here, no children should be imprisoned at any age. I believe in abolishing prisons. Critical discourse is essential and you can hold multiple ideas in your head at once. And trying to raise the age is an incredible step towards trying to get justice, not just for blackfellas, for all kids. So to people who say you can't support the campaign because it doesn't achieve overarching justice in one fell swoop, I ask you this. Are you willing to go tell the little 10-year-old stuck behind 
bars that they have to stay there because the 14 years have to stay too. Yeah, totally. Um, and even though the Council of Attorneys General have made this decision, if you haven't already, you can sign the petition to show your support for Raise the Age at raisetheage.org.au. And you can find out more about the campaign there as well. And we'll pop a link up on our programs page, fbiradio.com slash programs. Just click through to Race Matters. So, yeah, there was that really disappointing news on Monday. And then on Tuesday, the Black Lives Matter protest here in Sydney got shut down before it even began, with NITV reporting that six protests protesters were arrested despite complying with COVID-19 restrictions. And on top of that, we've seen some more deeply racist rhetoric come to the forefront yet again in relation to the pandemic. Three young black women allegedly did not declare where they had been when travelling home from Melbourne to Brisbane. Two of the women who subsequently tested positive for COVID-19 were then openly identified by multiple media outlets this week. And unsurprisingly, this has resulted in some racially charged comments on social media directed at these women. And the ripple effect of this has been felt particularly by the African-Australian community. It's interesting because the shadow treasurer Jim Chalmers said on publishing the women's identity, and again, I'm quoting, the argument is that in doing that, uh, that it is a deterrent for people doing the wrong thing. How interesting that none of the other people who have, you know, potentially breached quarantine or brought the virus to various communities have not been named and shamed. It feels like white Australia will find a way to shift blame onto black and brown folks wherever it possibly can. Yeah, what happened to that security guard who had sex with the um, the people quarantining remains anonymous, not named, not shamed. And who arguably literally set off this entire situation over in Melbourne. It's so, so wild and, yeah, just boggles the mind. Uh, it has been a tough shit week, to say the least. And I don't know, it feels like the tough weeks in the news and in the world are going to keep on coming for who knows how long. We talk about self-care a bunch on Race Matters and I feel like it's important to be honest about this stuff. Burnout is real, like... I'm burning out. I don't know about you, Darren. I am burnt out. Yeah, yeah. It's hard and it's, you know, so many people are feeling it right now and I think it's important to talk about it. Which is why, for this episode, while we acknowledge the ongoing struggle in fighting for black lives, indigenous lives, against anti-racism, we also acknowledge the value in merely existing, in practising culture as an act of resilience and empowerment. Yeah, which leads us into what this episode is about. Uh, last week, we talked about representation in food media with Lee Tran Lam and Michelle Rennings. Thanks again to those two for contributing to the show. Uh, we also talked about the phenomenon that is MasterChef in Australia. And some would say the skewed reality of diversity it portrays to its contestants and to its food. But reality TV aside, uh, there's no denying the power of food uh, in our lives. Uh, it not only enriches our bodies, it can be soaked in memory and it connects peoples in ways that nothing else can. And more specifically, comfort food uh, is something we're all probably seeking solace in quite a bit at the moment. So uh, up next, we're talking comfort food. We're going to hear from some Race Matters fam about their own comfort foods and we'd love to hear from you too. What was your childhood comfort food and why? Grandmother, mother, children, Uncle Bruce, Uncle Bruce, lies, confusion, anger, elders, truth, confusion, truth, lesson, archives, answers, agriculture, culture, black traditions, ecosystems, regeneration, 
conservation. Love, ash, dirt, aunties, mothers, grannies, children. Hands, compost, murnong, yams. Prejudice lifted. Prejudice lifted. You are listening to Race Matters. My name is Tanya Ali. I'm Darren Lasagas. And when you hear the phrase comfort food, what's the first thing that comes to mind for you? Chances are uh, it'll probably have something to do with family, growing up, or your culture. Often the foods we draw comfort from are tied to a sort of nostalgia. Sometimes it can even be less about the taste and more about the memories or the feelings associated with that food. My childhood comfort food was this Vietnamese meatloaf called Yo. And what my family used to do was uh, keep it in the fridge so it was really cold and then chop it up into tiny cubes put it on a bed of warm rice and pour soy sauce all over it. So you had the perfect combination of salty, fat and carby, which is obviously like a winning combination. But it it's also one of my favourite comfort foods because it just reminds me of all the times I would spend with my family, not just uh, my closest family, but my extended family and how that was always the food that they knew that I would love. Mm, so delicious. Uh, that's one of our Race Matters contributors, Bernie Newen there. And yeah, family does have such an influence on our uh, early tastes and what we retreat to for comfort. I have this very fond memory of Yum Chow with my grandpa and cousins every Sunday in Chinatown. I love the ritual of pouring tea, spinning the lazy Susan and dipping dim sums in chili sauce. I remember my grandpa's favourite was the steamed pork ribs with black beans, and I loved the glutinous sticky rice dish wrapped in lotus leaf. Yum cha is something with a large sentimental value to me because it's so closely linked with a childhood memory, and that's why it's my comfort food. That's Race Matters producer Sunny Lay with such an evocative description of yamcha. I feel like yamcha really lends itself to family rituals. Uh, my family are very much creatures of habit. So growing up, we had a pretty limited repertoire of places we'd go and dine in at. And this yamcha place in Hurstville was one of them. I spoke last week on the show about how I was a pretty fussy eater growing up. But just as I began to expand my horizons food-wise around about age 13, I also decided to go vegetarian. So there wasn't a whole lot that I could get stuck into at our Hurstville Yum Cha feast, but I do remember being obsessed with those mango pancakes that came out for dessert. I'm still obsessed with those. Me too. Every time I go to Yum Cha, I, w- I just take a picture of them because I'm like, oh, I need, I, I need a picture of this. They look so delicious. They're beautiful. They're <laughs> so like, they're just so fake. Like, <laughs> And I'm obsessed with it. They are delicious. Uh, if you haven't had them, please go go to your local yum chai. Just order the mango pancakes. Do it. Let's hear from one more Race Matters team member. This is Jess Im. My comfort food is always changing, but at the moment it's got to be sundubu jjigae. So it's like a spicy kimchi and silky tofu stew. Um, and it comes to you served in this traditional Korean earthenware pot called a dukbegi. Um, and there's a whole raw egg on top that like gradually cooks Um, and the best part about eating it is breaking the egg apart and watching all the yolk ooze out into the stew it's so hearty 
um, and wholesome and it always reminds me of home. You're listening to Race Matters. I'm Tanya Ali. I'm Darren Lasagas and uh, we're talking about seeking comfort in food right now. Uh, it's something we've spoken about on the show a little bit. Um, you may remember back when ISO started what, like... Uh, two years ago, an I don't eternity, know, an eternity ago. Yeah. ago um, we were talking about what it means to self-care in this moment. And a lot of the people who had contributed to the show were talking about food. Anyway, especially um, now um, we're talking about comfort and what it means to connect with your ethnic and cultural history through food. Uh, I'm Filipino. Uh, and if you are too, you may have had a similar experience with this iconic food. I am talking about Spam. Tanya, do you know about Spam? I don't know a lot about Spam. I haven't ever eaten it, I don't think. Okay. Well, if you are unfamiliar, um, Spam is a, it's like a pre-cooked canned meat. Uh, you find it in like a rounded prism can. Uh, it's got no frills type, bold yellow font, uh, all caps, Spam. Um, <laughs> that's how I read in my head when I see it. Spam. Uh, and it's got like a blue background and a picture of a sandwich on the front with presumably spam in it. Um, and you can get it at any gro- get it at any grocery store. I sound like a spam spokesman. They are not sponsoring the show. Um, and it's in the tin food section. Um, and it's like a blend of pork shoulder, potato starch, water, sugar, salt, and sodium nitrate. <laughs> anyway, you open it up. It's bright pink. It's like gelatinous and has a strong, like, salty uh, smell. And it kind of wobbles a bit when you flop it out of a can. Like, it's like, it's kind of like meat jelly. Whoa. Which kind of sounds not great, but it is. And, I mean, well, I mean, you're making a face as if that that sounds good. I think it sounds fun. <laughs> I think you're, you're painting a picture. I mean, I painted a picture. Yeah. Yeah. Whether you find it delicious or not. Up to you. But <laughs> if you are Filipino, if you know Filipinos, you know at some point in their lives, probably even now, uh, it's somewhat uh, a staple of their diet. But uh, but where does it come from? Have you ever thought about that? I always wondered why as a kid, I was the only one in my mostly white school to know what it was, uh, let's eat it. Uh, but you got to trace it back a few generations. It's uh, a U.S. product that was invented in 1937. Uh, and beyond that, it was part of the rations of the Americans fighting in the Philippines during World War II. Uh, and the Philippines were at war for nearly four years, lots of its population being sent to internment camps while bombs flew across the Pacific. And that's where uh, Filipino civilians began a great struggle with hunger. In Manila alone, uh, the liberation of the city came at a great cost. Uh, by the time of Japanese surrender, so much life and uh, resources had been lost, uh, and those who survived had not much food to live on. And the food in the country at that point was pretty much owned by Americans uh, and American rations and uh, everything that they brought from their home country. And what the soldiers who remained could share, um, they did. It was a lot of Hershey's chocolate, Marlboro Reds, like cigarettes, and among the rations, Spam. So uh, fast forward three generations later, it's still being whipped out for uh, special meals in Filipino homes. I grew up on it. You just got to slice it up uh, in like, oh, like half a centimeter uh, thick slices, pan fry it till it's crispy or crisp to taste. You can maybe fry it in a scrambled egg wash, uh, serve it over garlic rice or plain rice. You can serve it with a fried egg. And that shit is for breakfast, lunch or dinner. It's such a versatile meal. I had it in a sandwich, went to school. 
And other kids would say that I was eating dog food. I'd be like, oh, yeah, it's spam. They're like, oh, isn't that dog food? And I'd be like, well, damn, this dog food goes off. Like, sorry, not sorry. You got to taste this shit. Um, but yeah, spam, it's a remnant of a, of a colonial past, but it's, uh, it's food that has nourished our forebears. And it's a meal that carries um, safety and comfort in more ways than we know. Uh, and it makes me think about what constitutes Filipino bodies, you know, like, or any bodies that take in unique foods across generational gaps uh, it's the way that we're cult, uh, connected culturally socially and metaphysically you know and the way we draw ourselves to these foods because we can't separate the connection to our bodies and minds and that is such a beautiful and powerful sense of comfort it absolutely is and it's such an it's almost an innate thing as well like the connection that you have with those foods that maybe you had as a kid um, and just they became part of you in some way as I've harped on about already and I feel like I'm really painting an unflattering picture Your of little myself. little vego team. <laughs> so picky <laughs> uh, but I was very picky growing up and so I feel like my earliest comfort foods were really boring and pretty whitewashed. I really loved like boiled eggs and soldiers. Like fully boiled? Um, Well, like soft boiled. Okay, so you little dip the soldiers in Yeah, them. you dip the okay. soldiers in If you don't know, I know I've spoken to people before who don't know what soldiers oh, okay. are, but soldiers are like toast with butter on it, just cut lengthways. It's <laughs> and like, militarised. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, that was always the food my parents would feed me when I was sick, um, and I do still love me some eggs. They're the most versatile protein. Honestly, the best. I don't know what I would do without them. Uh, but once I grew up a little, and to this day, I think my go-to comfort food has got to be dal. So you've probably, hopefully, had it before. It's essentially the umbrella term for uh, lentils, like cooked lentils. So there are a lot of variations. It's a staple all over South Asia. Uh, it can be cooked with any variety of lentils. Uh, it varies in texture and how long it's cooked. And it's often tempered with a bunch of different toppings and ingredients. But my favourite is my mum's special. Uh, if I'm honest, I don't even fully know what's in it, despite the amount of times she's tried to teach me how to make it. But it's a lot of spices, turmeric, cumin, always a bit too much chilli, and topped with crispy fried onions. Uh, the true dream. <laughs> it is just so good. <laughs> You're listening to Race Matters with Tanya Ali and Darren Lasagas. What is your childhood comfort food and why? We're going to hear from a couple of listeners now. Here's Zoe from Maribyrnong telling us about the transformative power of a humble and versatile staple. My comfort food is noodle soup. There's just something so wholesome and soul-quenching about it. Any noodle soup, pho, laksa, wonton noodle soup, I will down it. If I've had a shit day, the warmth of the broth just gets rid of all of my problems and it's just amazing. Hi, this is Priyani from Nam. Rajma Chawal is my comfort food and it's a very classic Punjabi comfort food. It's from the northern regions of India and to me it tastes like home. It tastes like my mum's cooking and my grandma's cooking. It's a tomato-based kidney bean curry and there's many variations but I make mine now with cardamom, cinnamon and masala spices and it's served with rice and generally yogurt and it's quite simple but it's just absolutely delicious it's warm and spicy and the flavors are just mm. for me as someone who has grown up in australia um, indian food is a comfort food because it feels like going back to my roots and the depth of who i am but in a very tasty way 
It's something I grew up eating, so it reminds me of my parents' home. But it's also deeper than that because it's Indian. It's also where I'm from. So it reminds me of India and my grandparents' home. It's hard to explain the spot it hits, but it just hits it so well. Now, whenever I eat it, when I've had a bad day or the weather is gloomy or I have a hard day at work, it just makes me feel safe and loved and comfortable. It's another Race Matters listener there, Priyani. Thank you so much for sending that in. Uh, we're going to hear from Millie Roberts and Ryan Clapham on uh, their comfort foods in a sec. You are listening to Race Matters. I'm Darren Lasagas. I'm Tanya Ali. And a big shout out to uh, an anonymous texter who texted in on 0409 945 945. We're talking about comfort food on the show today. And uh, this person texted in saying, love Rajma, which is what one of our Race Matters listeners was speaking about before. They also say, I'm Indian and still live with my mum, trying to learn all her recipes so I can experience this warm feeling when I move out. That's so nice. So, so nice. Yeah, I've moved out, long time moved out, and I always, every time I go back to my parents to visit, I'm like, can you cook this or can you cook that, mum? Which is such a little bratty thing to do, but deep down I'm like, I need to feel something again. I fully, I do exactly (laughs) the same thing, and my mum's always like, all right, well, like stand with me in the kitchen and learn yeah. how to make it and I'm like no and you're just like on your phone out. tweeting like, yeah. no um, no yeah that's, I feel like a lot of us have the same experience with you texter thanks for texting in 0409 yeah it makes sense that a lot of our stories have these strong ties to family and to culture here's certified foodie and race matters <laughs> contributor Millie Roberts on the very first solid meal she ever had as a kid and how it brings her comfort to this day. My childhood comfort food is a Zambian dish called Nshima. It's made out of maize meal and it has a polenta-like consistency. It's really a blank canvas, so you're meant to serve it alongside vegetables like okra or wilted spinach, alongside meats like chicken drumsticks in tomatoes or a beef mince, as we do in my household. It's the first meal that I ate as a baby coming off breast milk and onto solids and my mum freaked out at the time because it was actually my auntie who served it to me. And what's so great about Nshima is that it just brings people together. It's a centre dish that you have all these sides around and you scoop it up, you eat it with your hands and beforehand you're meant to dip your hands in a water bowl. It's a bowl that's passed around and I vividly remember having my hands slapped when I was just reaching for the Nshima at a relative's house because I didn't wash my hands in the water bowl first. I recently learned to cook it with my mum, which was really special. I just watched her and she was telling me the temperatures for different things. You have to really, really stir it. Otherwise, it will burn and you won't get the right texture to it. Um... And I just frantically wrote down notes trying to recreate it. It's really kind of difficult to come by in the store, the maize meal itself. I get it from a speciality store in St. Ives. But you can also find it in some Woolworths too. But it is just such a starchy, great 
comfort food that fills me with joy. Yeah, it can be so hard recreating foods that your parents or family members cooked for you, as we were literally <laughs> just talking about. I definitely, yeah, haven't yet mastered the art of making literally any South Asian dish taste nearly as good as my mum can. And what's so frustrating is like when your parents or family members are cooking, they do it all so effortlessly. As well, well, yeah. Every time I ask my mum for a recipe, she's literally like a bit of this, a bit of that. You just gotta feel for it. I'm like, I need a recipe. <laughs> yeah, I don't have the well, like intuition that you have about these dishes. Unfortunately, I wish I did. And yeah. maybe one day we will, Darren. Maybe. Well, yeah. Well, that's the thing with like passing down of uh, knowledge orally is that so much of it is like being there and seeing it happen as opposed to following in, like a recipe step by step. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I feel a bit embarrassed to talk about this, but um, the other week, uh, it was my birthday, and because I'm trying to be extra careful about not seeing my parents so as to not expose them unnecessarily to, like, the virus more than they already are, my mum sent me this tiered lunchbox of a bunch of my home-cooked faves. So cute. It was so cute. So there was, like, alu and chole and, of course, a now famous dal. Famous with who? I mean, with the Race Matters Audience. Oh, right. I was like, <laughs> how many people are you sharing with this? That's not allowed. <laughs> but it was like so lovely. Um, but I definitely felt a bit of guilt as well because I just feel like surely by now I'm, you know, a fully fledged adult. I'm 25. I should be able to cook at least some of these foods that bring me so much warmth and joy. So when you find a dish that you can totally nail, it can become that extra bit special as Ryan Clapham, aka Dobby, has found. One of my favourite comfort foods would have to be my mother's pork adobo because it's such a traditional and well, you know, beloved Filipino dish um, and it's also one of those few dishes that I can that I can actually cook well and have it taste great <laughs> um, but yeah pork adobo is uh, just essentially a lot of uh, soy sauce and vinegar and bay leaf and peppercorn uh, uh, mixed, marinated with pork on a bed of rice. It is just the best thing. If anyone hasn't had Filipino food, please try pork adobo or there's vegan and vegetarian options as well. But yeah, that's my comfort food. Oh, Miss oh, I want it now. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot he said that at the end, uh, but we miss you, Ryan. Thank you for sending that in. I gotta say, I'm team chicken adobo. I'm sorry. I just think... No, I'm not going to say. Look, I'm team, I'm chicken adobo, Ryan's poke adobo. You can Wait. be a veggie adobo. It's fine. Why? Why? I just feel like it works better with that kind of meat. It's like softer. It goes a bit like more tender when you're like cooking it. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I, yeah. Look, everyone has their own taste, and that's fine. We all contain No, only one. No, um, <laughs> no. thank you, Ryan, for sending that in. You are listening to Race Matters with Darren Lasagas and Tanya Ali. Uh, that is all for Race Matters this week. A big thank you to everyone who uh, told us their comfort food tales. Bernadette Nguyen, Sunny Lay, Jess Im, Millie Roberts, Ryan Clapham, all members of the Race Matters fam, uh, as well as NAM-based listeners Zoe and Priyani. And uh, an extra shout-out to Sunny Lay and Millie Roberts who helped produce this episode. I'm Darren I'm Tanya Ali. You can find us at fbiradio.com forward slash race matters or wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll catch you next week. Race matters. 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 Race matters.